Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. Inside the Game Cox Podcast. Here's JC Sherbert. Inside the Game Cox Podcast, prediction Thursday here. JC Sherbert here with you. Happy to be with you, all of you Game Cox out there. Uh, thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring the first segment of the podcast each and every episode. And uh, thanks for thanks to Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell, Caldwell Banker Kane who is the sponsor of all of our prediction episodes here on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Good to be with you. Uh, starting out, wanted to say congratulations uh, to my good friend and the co-host of the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. Reason there's no episode this week, Mike Morgan got married, remarried uh, in uh, Florida this week. Small ceremony, saw it on Facebook, actually knew about it, you know, because he is my friend. But uh, shout out to Mike. Uh, for the uh, marriage and uh, wish he and his beautiful bride uh, all the best moving forward. I uh, just wanted to mention that right off the bat. <clears throat> Big challenge for South Carolina this weekend. Uh, last check, Tennessee was a 10.5-point favorite. It opened at 12, over-unders 57. Um, and I know going into this game, you know, it, it's – to me, you know, I'm going to make a prediction here in a little bit, but uh, – I want to let you guys know that, you know, I've mentioned this about predictions before. I I don't like them so much. You have to do them. Uh, but to me, college football outcomes are based on different scenarios. In other words, if, comma, then. If, comma, then. If, comma, then. And, and the keys to the game, to me, are much more important than any prediction. I think with predictions, you just got to go with what you've seen so far. Uh, you can't credibly throw out the first five games and the matchups and all that. Uh, so if I pick Tennessee, which I'm leaning towards doing, um, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to really concern yourself with it being hopeless because it's not, it's not a hopeless game. I think that Tennessee jumped all over Missouri. Missouri's defense has been atrocious this year. Uh, we've seen before Josh Heupel's offenses, 
uh, go up and down the field against bad defenses. Uh, and that's kind of what they do. That's what they did at Missouri. That's what he does at UC, did at UCF for the most part. But I'll say this, you can't just ignore the fact that they're clicking on all cylinders. I mean, you, you just can't throw that out and say, oh, it was a bad defense. And South Carolina on paper is pretty much uh, a better defense than Missouri by a long shot. That said, you know, it, it, if you're clicking, you're clicking. Uh, and guys like Tion Evans and Velas Jones, and now that they have Hendon Hooker at quarterback, you know, they, they've started rolling. I mean, they, they played Florida pretty well first half. Uh, and speaking of the first half, that's going to be a key that we get to in a second. You know, in South Carolina, struggling on offense, one touchdown again last week, you know, you just kind of think not enough offense to go up there and win because, you know, this defense for South Carolina, as well as it's played, as opportunistic as it's been, and it hasn't been perfect, but it's been pretty solid. You know, the, it's, it's tough to ask these guys to keep Tennessee completely in check. They have not played a tempo team this year like that. Troy kind of did a little bit of stuff tempo-wise, but that's uh, – it's nothing like maybe in previous years where, you know, South Carolina had seen tempo before and they go and they play a Missouri or whoever and they're ready for it. It's just not – it's not something that uh, you can simulate easy in practice. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's at Neyland Stadium – uh, so it's it's kind of a, a difficult situation uh, for South Carolina uh, heading into Knoxville this weekend. It's a noon kickoff, though. South Carolina has played pretty well at noon, especially on the road over the years, in recent years. And so, you know, that that that's probably to the Gamecocks' advantage more so than a night game. Tennessee's coming out in the all-black uniforms, apparently. Uh, weird for a night game, but uh, they did it against South Carolina back in 2009. Uh, Lane Kiffin's only year in Knoxville, and uh, they won. I was at that game. It was an ugly game for South Carolina. They won 31-13 kind of in the rain. It was all that good stuff. So, interesting matchup this weekend in Knoxville for the Gamecocks. And certainly this Tennessee game is one when you circle games, who are the teams South Carolina needs to play well against to beat every year, the quote-unquote rivals. I always say Tennessee's right there behind Georgia and Clemson, you know, Georgia and Clemson are what they are. Tennessee obviously has not been Georgia and Clemson, but this is a game South Carolina needs to win. Unfortunately, you know, you kind of look at how the series is gone. It's been sort of a, a, a streaky series of late, usually a really close game. Um, Gamecocks lost three in a row, end of Spurrier era, first of uh, Muschamp. There was a Sean Elliott loss in there by three in Knoxville. Uh, Muschamp started three and zero against the Vols. That's that was three and two after last year's four point loss at home. It's a game the Gamecocks certainly were not outclassed in, but uh, they lost because of mistakes. Carolina sort of beat itself last year, but this, you know, scheming up against a, an offense like last year is a lot different than this season. I mean, it, it's a it's a different animal at UT with different players. I mean, Hooker wasn't there last year. Evans wasn't there last year. Uh, it's a different deal when you're talking about Tennessee uh, this coming season. Uh, go check out the on thebigspur.com. Frank Martin had a preseason press conference today talking men's basketball. Certainly always encouraged when we hear Frank Martin talk. He's so philosophical and stuff like that. Sounds like he's feeling pretty good about his team this year. You know, we'll see. I think it's a tough schedule uh, in the non-conference for a team that's got a lot of new faces and learning how to gel. But, you know, getting Cousinard back and Bryant back and then – Another year for the bigs, uh, like um, 
Manat and uh, Levesque inside and, and some of the new guys they brought in, you know, there's hope. And, and I think that when you talk about men's basketball at South Carolina toward the end of last season, it looked like there was not a lot of hope. And so there's hope there. So we'll see sort of how it goes. Going to talk a lot more basketball uh, moving forward. Uh, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, both addressed the media yesterday. Interesting comments from both of them. Uh, again, that's on thebigspur.com. Uh, you know, with Marcus Satterfield, you're always going to get, you know, you don't really get excuses. And I kind of like that about him. Um, you know, you get some reasons and he comes across as a pretty smart guy. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do uh, to try to move the football this week. Uh, again, I think what you do from last week is you, you're encouraged by the first couple of drives and then the last drive of the game for different reasons, both offensively and defensively. Uh, I'd come out and try to throw the ball again. Uh, Tennessee's 25th in the country in run defense, but uh, they held Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech below 40 yards, Missouri to 74. Missouri had to throw it a lot, obviously, being down like they were. But still, Tyler Beatty, pretty good running back, 41 yards on 21 carries. So you have to think realistically, are the Gamecocks going to go up there and win it? You hope they do. You hope they do. But I would, I would carry the same mindset into this game. Uh, just because I think you start throwing it, you, you can move it up and down the field, you're comfortable with it, maybe that opens up the run. You know, th- this is not a juggernaut defense that Tennessee's playing with. They've played solid, though, this year. They've, they've actually played really solid football. The only team was really able to run it against them. <clears throat> Pitt scratched out over 100, uh, but they were still sort of held in check. It was Pitt's passing game that got to them. Um was uh, Florida. They had 283 rushing yards, 144. That came from Embry Jones at the quarterback position. It's yet another one of those games you sort of wish Luke Doty's foot wasn't hurt and they could run the quarterback and all that. Maybe they can a little bit, but uh, he ain't going to move anything like Emory Jones <laughs> for the University of Florida. Uh, so that's tough. That's a tough matchup. Um, you know, good weekend of college football coming up. Can't wait to see some of these games. LSU, Kentucky is really interesting to me. Georgia Auburn's really interesting to me. Um, so we'll see, you know, how those teams all, you know, th- those teams both came off big wins last week. Georgia's got to go to Auburn. Uh, both Auburn won at LSU and now they're coming home. Jordan Air Stadium, you know, you, you never know. Georgia's about a 17 point favorite there. Uh, and then Kentucky and LSU, obviously the big win over Florida last week. Uh, and then UK playing an LSU team that also, like South Carolina, cannot run the football. Pretty interesting to me that their offensive staff, offensive coordinators, co-coordinators came from the Panthers just like Satterfield, and they're trying to run kind of the same deal. You know, so we'll see. Uh, on that note, you know, after doing some research, I, you know, I you look at that offense, and uh, I think I said this in an earlier episode, or I've said it during my interviews this week. I had a little bit of a voice issue yesterday, so Miss JB and Goldwater, don't forget – Big Gamecock preview show coming up tomorrow with JB and Goldwater and yours truly. But uh, you look at that at offense, you know, the Joe Brady offense, and even in 2019, that wasn't really a line them up and hit you in the mouth, smash mouth uh, type of situation. Um, you know, they threw it to run it that year, and they did run it effectively with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I've got that name right. Um, but, it was, you know, he'd kind of dart up in there, you know, Joe Burrow would take off running, you know, and, and they had all those NFL pass catchers that could really make a difference. 
South Carolina is not going to look like that, even if they go out and bombs away. But I, I do think that the passing game, uh, you know, and a lot depends. You know, Josh fans playing at a high level. Brooks didn't drop a pass last week. That's a positive. Uh, you know, you've got EJ Jenkins who's coming on. Uh, you still got Nick Muse out there tied in that's caught just about everything he's been thrown this year. You still have a Jaheim Bell out there. You've got guys in the backfield that can catch passes. Uh, you know, DeCarian Joyner gets a lot of slack, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I guess criticism about dropping passes. And hey, that's legit, you know. Uh, but he, he caught a 25-yarder last week on the first drive. Looked pretty good, uh, you know. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Joiner needs to have more snaps by any stretch. I think you could finally find, probably find some guys that could eat into his snaps a little bit that would be productive. Um, you know, still waiting on Amari and Brown to catch along with. There's all kinds of things going on uh, with the passing attack that, that make it more realistic than maybe coming into the year. I mean, it's almost like the script has been flipped uh, in terms of what this team does best offensively. Uh, and then Luke Doty's got to find his open receivers. I mean, you know, I, I think he'd be the first to tell you he's left some points on the field, you know, if, if he just finds the right guy. Now, not all, you know, every quarterback misses guys downfield. This is not a criticism of his play. I think he's throwing it pretty well. He's young. Uh, you know, he had the foot injury, missed some time. He's only going to get better and better. And, you know, last week it was such a shame <clears throat> that the Gamecocks ended up with limited possessions in the second half and they didn't really go very far uh, when they had them because he was sitting at 200 yards passing at halftime. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, you know, you get 300-plus. It's a big confidence boost, but it wasn't meant to be. He ended up with 255 <laughs> and, you know, a one-touchdown game yet again. So, you know, you don't know how much the limited possessions cost them in that football game. All right. Now it's time for the keys to the game and uh, the prediction. And that is brought to you by Cindy Searfoss Realtor, Caldwell Banker Kane, in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, and we have listeners from all over the country. Appreciate those of you from Fairfield, Connecticut to Kyoto, Japan, that sent in where you catch the ITG podcast from. Certainly uh, appreciate it and uh, shows you Gamecock Nation is worldwide. Uh, but this week's Gamecock preview and predictions brought to you by Cindy Searfoss, Coldwell Banker Kane Real Estate. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan and has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. She would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. So please contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email her, csearfoss at cbkane.com. That's C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-K-A-N-E, dot com Or again, 864-414-5271. That's Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Okay, so first of all, you know, and I've got offensive keys, defensive keys, and I'll, I'll give you the special teams key first and foremost. The game guys are going to win this game. Uh, make things happen and no breakdowns on special teams. And they've been pretty solid this year, special teams. Uh, Parker White, knock on wood, has not missed a field goal. Can't miss field goals against this bunch up in Knoxville. Um, preferably, though, you're kicking extra points if you're Parker White uh, because you're going to need touchdowns. But the special teams key, stay solid, make things happen. Um, things like punt blocks and things like that, you know, 
it's unrealistic to think that they'll block a punt every week, but the Gamecocks have shown a knack for doing that. Certainly would be uh, good to make some things happen special teams-wise. Pete Limbo really has done a great job of that group, uh, and I think by all accounts, uh, people are pleased with the job he's done, and really the defense too. Um, defensively, uh, they got to keep the balls in front of them. Um, no big plays, you know, missed tackles, things like that. They get it to Evans. Evans just goes. Uh, obviously, against Missouri, they did not do a good job of that. Uh, you got to keep this group in front of you and tackle well. Uh, no big plays, you know, and they like to attack the perimeter. So perimeter tackling, which has been much improved this year, that's going to be important. Linebackers fitting their gaps. We'll get to that here in a second. Next key for the defense is get off the field. If you get third down, get off the field. That is the kryptonite of this style of offense. When they cannot convert third downs and they have a bunch of three and outs, it completely devastates their defense when, when, when you're going this fast uh, because no time comes off the clock. Again, against Missouri, it didn't matter. Uh, I, I'll tell, I've told the story a bunch uh, this week talking about this game. I look up and the uh, time on the clock in the first quarter, 11.20, or was it, it was about over. It was 28 nothing Tennessee. And Missouri had had the ball for 11 minutes and 34 seconds. So if they're big playing you to death, it literally does not matter what the time of possession is. But if you're stopping them and getting them off the field, that can help. You know, that's how that's how you run. That's the kryptonite to this type of thing. Uh, and this is why everybody doesn't always go fast in college football. It sounds like awesome. You just go, go fast and go up and down the field and whatever. But, you know, some teams don't do that because if you're getting stopped – you know, that can get you. Look at Alabama and Ole Miss last week. You know, Alabama's defense played really, really well. Ole Miss couldn't get anything going as fast as they were going, going forward on fourth down and all that. So, um, you know, scoring-wise. And, and, and that's the deal is, is you got to you got to get them off the field when you have that opportunity because if they're converting and going up, I mean, it's, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long day. On offense, convert third down. Carolina's been, you know, not very good in that category. Third down conversions gives you a whole other set of downs, keeps their offense off the field, and it rests your defense uh, in a game like this. So you got to convert third downs if you're the Gamecocks. Luke Doty, Luke Doty needs to make plays on third down. The receivers have to catch it on third down. Marcus Satterfield has to make good calls on third down. And most importantly, of course, the offensive line has to block. I don't even think I have the offensive line listed as a key to the game, but it goes without saying these guys have to play better for South Carolina to have any shot to pull the upset. Um, as I said, keep him from big plays, particularly Evans. Keep Evans in front of you because if he gets behind you, it's they're playing Rocky Top most likely. He's that fast. I remember scouting him out of Hartsville High School before he we went to JUCO. Thought he was a special talent, special player. Uh, there's no doubt he and Jabari Small both who run the ball for the Vols uh, can make big plays. Also, you got to keep Hooker in front of you. If they use Milton to run it with their quarterback, you know, make them pay. Uh, you know, it looks kind of, you know, when you when you watch Tennessee and they run it with their quarterback, you're almost like they run a little high and stuff. I and mean, there's an opportunity to be really physical um, with those quarterbacks when they do run it, and the Gamecocks need to take advantage of that. A key for the offense and defense goes without saying. Limit turnovers and force them. South Carolina has not been a huge 
I guess, uh, turnover-filled team on offense this year. They've, they've made some mistakes for sure here and there, and because the offense isn't scoring, they get magnified. But they've protected the ball for the most part. But you can't you can't fumble and stumble and throw picks and all that because that just gives the ball right back to their offense. And in some cases, could set them up with a short field, and you know that's just going to be disaster if that happens. Game guys defense has to hit the run fits and has to tackle exceptionally well. This is an improved tackling football team. Uh, the run fits are a concern, especially on the inside runs that uh, Troy was able to take advantage of last week. Uh, you got to have good play at linebacker. Damani Staley's got to be disciplined. Brad Johnson's got to be disciplined. Mokaba, when he gets a chance, wouldn't mind seeing him a little more just from an athletic standpoint against this bunch. They have to stay disciplined there as well as the safety position. Uh, and Jalen Foster's done a great job of that this year. And then either Dickerson or Brown, uh, whoever's playing at that other safety spot, especially the first half with R.J. Roderick out, they have to be, you know, tackling machines. The, the, you can't – you got to get them on the ground. Uh, because if you don't, if they break tackles, again, the band is playing Rocky Top. Um, handle the tempo defensively. Uh, you know, this is, again – it's not like previous years where they played a tempo team, but you've had two or three on the schedule and you kind of know what's coming. You know, this is the first time the Gamecocks have played an offense that goes this fast. And sometimes if you're not used to it and you're not prepared for it, they'll go up and down the field on you no matter how good your defense is. I mean, this is through the years, this is having Alabama against teams that go fast. You know, that, that's uh, they've gotten caught with their pants down. So you have to be careful there. Uh, handle the tempo. That means – don't get overwhelmed. Don't get tired, and it forces you into mental, mental mistakes. They're not going to let you sub a whole lot. You know, you just got to kind of go with it, get the call, and go. Um, and then finally, the, the big key to this football game to me is start fast. I, I think South Carolina, you know, when you look at them this year, they certainly are not what you call a start fast football team. Um, I thought they did start pretty fast against Troy. Uh, two nice drives to open the game. When you come away with only three points, what good did that do you? They certainly didn't start fast against Kentucky. Gave up a touchdown drive and then couldn't get anything going on offense for the whole half. Uh, against Georgia, I thought offensively they started fast, but I'm talking both sides of the ball. Obviously, on defense, Georgia went right through them, right up and down the field early uh, in a 14-6 type of deal. Gamecocks got field goals to their touchdowns. Offense started fast in that football game. Uh, but the defense certainly didn't, and that, then then disaster struck, and you know disaster struck against uh, a lot of teams, all the teams that have played Georgia this year. So you hang it up, but you're looking for a start much more like Eastern Illinois, or yeah, twenty nine nothing to be great, JC, uh, but uh, much more like you did against Eastern Illinois, um, and then in that Georgia game on offense uh, or Troy on offense, and you know maybe defense. Uh, as opposed to some of the other starts where you're, you know, behind. And, you know, East Carolina is an example of what doesn't need to happen. You know, you give up a trick play for a 75-yard touchdown, then you have a turnover at least. I mean, it's 14 nothing right off the bat. You, South Carolina is good enough defensively to stymie ECU and come back and win. I don't know about Tennessee. You know, I, I just don't know how realistic it is to keep – a bunch of points off the board because they've been able to go up and down the field, you know, just about everybody. They're not perfect. They're not flawless on offense, but you know, you look at the games, they've lost two games 
to Florida and to uh, Pitt. And in both of those, they started fast. I think the Pitt game, they were up 10 nothing, 10-7, something like that. Second quarter, Pitt scores 24. Uh, and then Tennessee just couldn't come back. And then Florida falls up 14-10 in the swamp, close game at halftime. Florida won the second half. If the Gamecocks are close at half uh, or it's a tie game or Gamecocks have the lead, you know, at that point, I sort of like South Carolina's chances to pull off the win or the upset. It's an upset, 10.5-point underdog. Sounds bad to say that because I don't think anybody was expecting that against the Vols this year. But when you can't run it, you can't score against a team like this, you're going to be a 10.5-point underdog. Uh, but I, I like Carolina's chances because Tennessee has not necessarily been a second-half team this season. They've been a good first-half team. And great googly moogly. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. Uh, against Missouri, 45 to 10. I mean, they just you know, ended up winning 62 24. Um, probably could have scored 70 something, to be honest with you, as bad as Missouri was last week. So, you know, I, I think it's important that you don't get, you know, like a Mike Tyson fight in the, in the 1980s uh, when, you know, the fight was over in 39 seconds. No TKOs early on for the Gamecocks uh, if they're going to have a shot to hang with them in Knoxville. You know, this series over the years has been close. There's been games where uh, the Gamecocks have played Tennessee and had the better team and survived, uh, and in some cases lost. There's been years where Tennessee's had the better team and in some cases lost, in some cases survived. Uh, last trip to Knoxville was not pretty. 41-21, that was kind of – me personally, that was my last uh, hope for the Muschamp era. Uh, although, you know, he, he kept his job and remained in the coach for 2020. And as challenging as the last offseason was, you do have to give him credit for keeping the team together and handing it off – I guess handing it off would be the right word, but you know, he left Beamer with a better situation than a lot of first-year head coaches have in terms of personnel and stuff like that. And Gamecocks didn't have very many opt-outs last year. And, and, and you know, that's that was a big challenge last season for any coach uh, to keep them together. And then he left a pretty good 2020 recruiting class. So, you know, and, and I'm certainly, you know, I was on the make a change now in 2019 bandwagon, not knowing, you know, there was going to be a global pandemic and, and all this other stuff, social unrest or whatever last summer. And so, you know, if they'd have had a new coach, who knows how things would have gone and what situation they would have been in right now. Uh, but as it all played out, they have a shot. You know, you, 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 this is not a team that doesn't have a chance. Uh, this is not a team that you even look at offensively as much as they've struggled and say, ah, there's no chance. It's been self-inflicted wounds. It's been dropped passes, missed receivers, and most importantly, uh, it's been the blocking up front. You know, And I still think for some reason these guys are playing tentative. They're not playing loose. They're thinking too much. Uh, we've seen every one of these guys go out there and play better during their career. Not And like I said all summer, folks, I, I never anticipated the offensive line, and, and I said this many times, to never give up penetration on a third and fourth and short and the running back gets stuffed. I never expected them not to give up a sack. You know, that, that stuff, you know, that stuff happens with the schedule you play. I did expect them to be at least average, and they're well below average, if not awful, right now as a unit. 
Now, Vershawn Lee, who was inserted in at left guard last week because of the injury to Jalen Nichols, played really well. He was the offensive player of the game. Uh, and so I don't know if more personnel changes will come or what, but uh, Greg Atkins' group has a lot to prove. Now, if they go out and can open some holes in the run game or whatever, you know, that that game may be a different story. Tennessee, I'll tell you this, they're stingy against the run. I mentioned that earlier. Missouri scratched out 74, Pitt 100. Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech had less than 40. Uh, and then Florida, of course, had the 283, but 144 was from the quarterback. You know, so this is not a defense up at Tennessee that gives up a lot of rushing yards as it is. You know, so Saturday, they do give up some passing yards and have here and there. Uh, but they bottled up Missouri pretty nicely. You know, Missouri would kind of dink and dunk down the field like Eli Drinkwitz's offense sometimes does. They couldn't run it. Uh, so a lot was on Connor Bezalak, and, uh, you know, they just couldn't get it done when they got in striking distance to, to stay up in the track meet. So, you know, you, if you're Carolina on defense, you got to stop that from happening. If you're Carolina on offense, when you get down there, you got to score, find a way to score touchdowns. Uh, because as we all saw last week, the time of possession didn't even really matter. I mean, it's 28 nothing, yet you've had the, you're down 28 nothing, you've had the ball for 11 minutes. Uh, that's kind of a smothering, spider web type of a defense. In other words, you get caught in the web and you smother. Uh, you can't go and get pay dirt uh, with all of that. Um, you know, so I've talked about the series. You know, South Carolina, Neyland Stadium, they've won when it's been ugly. And I'll say this, if it's an ugly game, like the three wins Carolina has all time up there, that favors the Gamecocks, obviously. Uh, South Carolina's win 16-15 in 2005. That was – uh, really the first breakthrough win for Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. Ironic that it came in Knoxville. Uh, Tennessee ended up five and six that year, but uh, they were in the thick of it when the Gamecocks beat them and it just kind of fell apart. 2011, South Carolina had so much better of a team than Tennessee did. Uh, Derek Dooley, I think Justin Worley was a freshman on that true freshman on that team. Uh, Dooley's last season was the next season in 2012, I think. Yes, because Butch was 2013. Don't need to be reminded of that one. Um, so the game guys went up there and won 14-3. Swearinger, I think, had a big pick. May have been a pick six in the football game out of the end zone. or There was an intercepted pass in the end zone. The details escaped me. Uh, and then uh, in 2017, a team that did not win an SEC game, at Tennessee, lost 15-9 to to South Carolina. Butch Jones, champion of life, was the head coach there then. And boy, oh boy, that uh, I aged probably five years. Uh, Tennessee's last possession had it first and goal at the two, down six. Gamecock stopped them four straight times uh, and came away with a 15-9 win. Gamecocks made some adjustments in the second half, started running Jake Bentley a little bit on the quarterback keeper. Uh, A.J. Turner with a very, very big football game uh, for the Gamecocks. And that one, uh, Carolina kept kicking field goals, you know, couldn't get into the end zone, but uh, survived uh, Rocky Top. And that was um, that was the last well, – no, no. Gamecocks won again the next year in 2018. Uh, and then they've lost two in a row, including last year's 31-27 game in Columbia. So – We'll see what happens. You know, I, I don't know that, that, like I said, I like the Tennessee defense. Uh, I think that they have played pretty much better than expected. I don't think they're among the best units in the league 
if you do want to look at stats, and some of you I know love stats and all that, uh, South Carolina's, you know, three of their five games have, have been against top 10 defenses statistically. Uh, I, I didn't think the Kentucky defense was all that heading into the game, but the last two weeks against Carolina and Florida, boy, they've really come on. Uh, and they're expected to be really good. Uh, you know, Kentucky's in the top 10 defensively, total defense. Troy is in the top 10 total defense. And of course, Georgia's the best defense in the country. So this team has played really good defensive football teams uh, throughout the year. Of course, everybody's going to say East Carolina's not that good. And they're not. And you know what? East Carolina uh, has not been great defensively since they played the Gamecocks, you know, but. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, they're a much better team uh, than many of you gave them credit for. They've won since the loss of the Gamecocks three in a row. They beat Marshall, Charleston Southern. And then, you know, a two-lane team that took Oklahoma to the wire, you know, they scored 52 in that one, 52-29. You don't compare scores or use the transitive property. But East Carolina, since that loss, they have not – you know, lost a game. They play at UCF, Gus Malzahn, this Saturday. See, so take their shot there. But, um, you know, it, it, it's not like East Carolina is, has been a horrible football team. That, they've already uh, equaled their total number of wins from last year. And so is South Carolina for that matter. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. You know, you can't sit there and say, oh, well, they played all these great defenses when you struggle at East Carolina. But that, that game also was one where – Carolina's offense at the end took control of the game and uh, and away they go. You know, the other one's top 10 defenses. So we'll see. We'll see kind of what the deal is. I mean, I, I certainly don't think that one touchdown against Troy uh, is going to cut it regardless of how highly ranked their defense is. Uh, Carolina should have had more on offense in that ball game. Uh, and probably should have done more just about every game this season. So, uh, let's not let's not just say, hey, well, it's because of who they played. Uh, but they have played. It, it is an undeniable fact. They've played three top ten defenses this year. All right, so my prediction. Uh, again, thanks to Cindy Searfoss, uh, who sponsors this each and every week. Again, 35 years in the upstate, my hometown of Spartanburg, 864-414-5271. That's 864-414-5271. I know some of you. We're always looking for houses, looking for to sell a house, looking to sell property. Uh, and I know a load of you are in the upstate, the fast-growing upstate area. And she covers Spartanburg, Greenville, Anderson. No matter where you are at, she can really help you with all of your real estate needs. Um, you know, you make predictions, and uh, it's part of my job. Um, I, I'll tell you I don't like it, but I'm going to keep doing it because it's part of my job. Uh, because like I said, football games are not determined necessarily by what happened the previous week or the trend lines or anything like that. It's usually determined by scenarios. There's a scenario in each game where one team can win, one team cannot, um, or one team wins or the other wins. And and especially in an SEC game, you know, Eastern Illinois, you know, there's not a lot of scenarios where the Panthers would have come in there and beaten the Gamecocks, Right. Uh, and then East Carolina, you know, the exact scenario that East Carolina needed to win the football game happened in the first half. Uh, but then they couldn't go anywhere offensively at all against the Gamecock defense. And so, 
Carolina ultimately rallied, but the key to ECU in that game would be to force some turnovers early, have some breaks go, get a cheap touchdown, you know, all that good stuff, get off to a great start, get the crowd into it. All that happened, yet East Carolina lost the football game. Um, and so sometimes those scenarios happen and, and the outcome still uh, isn't what you want. Um, but this one has some scenarios. There's a scenario where Tennessee, you know, you look at their offense and it's more of a function of what happened, uh, what's happening in Columbia, Missouri right now, more than anything else. You can use that and say, well, that's the case. You can also say, well, ah, they're a great offense. They're clicking. Uh, Gamecocks hadn't played tempo. Uh, there's different scenarios, different scenarios for this football game. But I think when you make a prediction, you know, if you want to stay credible with it and like, look, nobody's listening to this podcast because of my awesome predictions. Score predictions, right? Nobody subscribes to thebigspur.com because I'm awesome at predicting scores. Uh, and, you know, I was wrong last week to a certain extent. I picked the Gamecocks to win 17-12. They won 23-14. We'll go back in time. Kentucky, I did pick the Gamecocks to win. I think I had 23-20 in that one. Gamecocks lost 16-10. to Georgia had 28 to 10 dogs. They won 40 to 13. You take away those five points. I'm pretty close. Uh, you know, I I think I picked 24 16 Gamecocks at ECU. It was 20 to 17. Picked 42 to 10 in the opener. It was 46 nothing. I haven't been too far off this year, but I still, you know, would like to be wrong with this one. Um. I think when you're playing tempo and a team that's in rhythm, and right now Tennessee is in rhythm, they're catching on to this new scheme uh, that Josh Heupel has installed. Heupel has not, as a coordinator, done all that well against Carolina, but that was a different staff back then with Will Muschamp and those guys. Um, I, I think that when you look at the totality of the current situation, uh, there's probably just going to be too much offense uh, from Tennessee and not enough from South Carolina. Uh, you know, so I, I've, I've got to go with the Vols 31-14 in this one. And uh, you sort of hope that you're wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll be just as happy as you guys. But uh, that's just sort of the prediction right now. With the st- You know, you can't sit there and go – I mean, you know, the, the offense and defense for Carolina both are worth about a touchdown a game at this point. You know, so you can't sit even if you get a defensive touchdown. That's you know that's usually pretty helpful, but with the way the offense is, you know, you just can't do it. You, the, I'm not going to pick them to do it until they do it. So here's hoping they do it. Here's hoping I'm wrong. Uh, again, the prediction here: 31-14 Tennessee. Just a bad matchup for Carolina. I'll, I'll tell you that the next game at Texas A&M, uh, unless Haynes King comes back for the Aggies between now and then, and who knows if he will or not. You know, Tennessee does not have a huge talent gap on Carolina. They're, they're probably equally talented. The game has a little more talent. It, it's sort of the way things are clicking that lead me to that prediction and the matchup itself. Uh, Texas A&M is a better matchup. Clemson's a better matchup because those teams are struggling to score too. Uh, and with the way the game kind of defense is playing, you got to think they'll have a good game. You can hold them down and get just enough right now. I don't know that they're going to get enough offensively to go win the football game and uh, not being mean, not trying to be negative. But like I said, with predictions, you have to, you have to kind of go with what you got. 
teams change week to week. I acknowledge that. But uh, right now, you know, too much offense. Because you you even got to think Tennessee scores 31. That's only half of what they scored last week. You know, and, and they're – Momentum-wise, I, I do think noon a noon kickoff may impact the crowd a little bit. But after the win last week, Vol Nation is fired up, you know, and they see an opportunity to get another win and get to four wins. And they got Vandy at the end and I think another team that they should beat at the end. So, you know, this one definitely could be like uh, uh, the difference between a bowl trip and not a bowl trip for, for Tennessee, which would be great considering how many players they lost uh, over, you know, over the course of the offseason. I mean, it looked like they were dead in the water. Uh, but, you know, you sort of look at it, you know, after this, Ole Miss comes to Knoxville. They go at Alabama, at Kentucky. Georgia comes to Knoxville. And then they got Jake Bentley in South Alabama and Vanderbilt to end the season. So, if you're Tennessee and you don't beat South Carolina, you got to probably beat Mississippi, Bama, Kentucky, or Georgia. Now, look, against Kentucky, who they own up until last year, when Kentucky won 34-7 in Knoxville, you know, they got a shot. They got a shot. Uh, but, you know, when you look at it on paper, like who's in the top 10 or who's in the top 20 right now, you're playing four ranked teams the next four weeks, so you're wanting to get the best of the Gamecocks. You know, I'll also say this, one more thing about Tennessee and Missouri – Last year, Tennessee started off with a win over Carolina, the close one, and then they beat Missouri pretty good, 28-12 at home. And then the bottom fell out, and they only beat Vandy for the rest of the year. Pruitt ends up getting fired after a delayed time to save their recruiting class or whatever. I guess they saved part of it. But, you know, so, so it's not like they haven't played good football against Missouri before. Gamecock, same situation. I mean, they, they – Tennessee's not going to sit there and go, oh, my God, South Carolina's coming in, which could work to the Gamecocks' advantage because sometimes you get overconfident and sometimes you think everybody's going to be like the team you just played. You know, you're at home and you're like, ah, you got the black uniforms. And you're like, ah, that's the other team's butt. And it may be, and I picked that. But you never know in this, in this game of college football, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen. And so I think that uh, – Given that South Carolina is good on defense, you know, they've probably got uh, a better shot than Missouri did. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you look at Pitt, Pitt's defense definitely is not as good as South Carolina. I mean, this is you – know, I don't know statistically where Florida's defense ranks compared to the Gamecocks, but it, they play pretty surprisingly really good football this year, with the exception of the first half against Bama. Uh, and so you look at this is, you know, you could say probably the best defense Tennessee's faced this year with the Gamecocks. Uh, but I still, you know, you have to factor in the tempo. You have to factor in that play tempo. And you have to factor in the Gamecocks offense just, continue, you know, five games in. You can't sit there and say, well, they can, you know, get in a shootout win 35-31 or something like that. It's just not, you know, not feasible. So, anyway, that's my pick. Please don't be mad. You know, you got to call it like you see it. Hope I'm dead wrong and would be gladly, gladly will take that pile of crow and eat it next week. Because if somehow South Carolina can come out with a win, you know, I think that gets things really moving in the right direction uh, for the second half of the season. This is Saturday will end the first half of the year. 
uh, four and two, you're in good position to get those extra two wins. Uh, you know, with Vandy coming up to uh, three and three, you know, you're looking for three. That's tough. That's tough. All right. It's time for the I Help Consulting mailbag. Um, all right. I Help recently saved a customer more than $48,000 annually. How about that? So that's impressive, right? Uh, and the average savings for an iHelp customer is more than 2000 annually. So that's, uh, that's a big deal right there. And so let me tell you uh, about iHelp and uh, what they can do for you. And you can go to iHelpConsulting.com and uh, they will help you. It's a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. That's things like credit card processing. Internet, and that's kind of what you pay out the Time Warner or for, for your internet service. Heritage Digital does something different. That's like your internal network. So if it's running slow and you're losing files and stuff, call them. If you think you're paying a little too much out the Time Warner or Comcast or whoever, give Daniel a call. Insurance, that's a big costly thing these days. They can help you there. They can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. Yet another important thing. Again, 48 grand. In a year, if you're a business, that's huge. That's huge. And if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. They also are not one of these consulting firms that's going to charge you like, you know, $6,000 to save $4,000. No, 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 no. Here's how they make their money. They just take a percentage of the savings. So they can save you forty eight grand. You know, you're going to be writing them a pretty good check, but you're going to save forty eight grand. Uh, so call or text Daniel right now at iHelp, 843-372-5713. Or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. Uh, that's could be either in person, over the phone, whatever. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelpConsulting.com. iHelp Consulting, how can I help you? A proud sponsor of the iHelp Consulting mailbag here on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Now, I want to say this. Wrote a nice article for the Big Spur just now. It's free, so you can go check it out about the FCS Group of Five Division II transfers South Carolina's gotten. Uh, got a quite a few of them from the 2021 class that are making a difference. Uh, and then guys like Jalen Foster, Nick Muse, um, J- Jalen Brooks, those guys are playing well. And I didn't know, you know, and, and, and look, here's one thing that the reason I wrote this and Sort of what chaps me, son. I mentioned, you know, you know, the ZJ Jenkins, Jordan Strong, Carlos Platel, guys like that. Uh, the reason I mentioned this is because there's a lot of group folks that are just like they just trashed all these guys. David Spalding, 74 yard pick six last week. Just trash these guys. Ah, they're just getting a bunch of FCS players, G5 players. They're not going to be able to compete in the SEC. Well, I, I was skeptical about believing that. I also thought, well, there could be an adjustment period for some of these guys. I didn't know. And the, the transfer portal with immediate eligibility is such a new thing. You sort of look around the country and, and you don't know, yeah, it'd be great to be Oklahoma and get some of those guys. Uh, yeah, it'd be great to be Alabama and get the guys they got, a handful of guys. Uh, you know, but you kind of look at some other places and some teams loaded up on G5 guys, some, some didn't. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think 
there was certainly, you know, you certainly kind of called it into question as to what exactly the um, the deal would be. I mean, and look, I'll say this, you know, you, you got uh, you got Michigan State sitting there with a bunch of guys uh, from the Power Five level. They're, they're doing pretty well. Kenneth Walker, it's kind of amazing. Wake Forest is in the middle of a great year. Then Kenny Walker Jr. goes to Michigan State. He's, I think, setting the country on fire to a certain extent. Um, you know, Michigan State's transfer class was good, mostly Power Five guys. I think South Carolina's has paid off. It's mostly FCS or group of five guys. So there's there's going to have to be like years of data uh, to, to see which way works the best. If there is a best way, it may just be to each his own and different schools do different things. It doesn't matter as long as you get players. And South Carolina got players. I mean, you know, I, I think when you look at it, you're probably in better shape now with Spalding, who had college experience, with Jenkins, who has college experience, with Debo Williams on special teams, Carlin Splatel leads the team in forced fumbles. Uh, with those guys, then, then maybe going and counting on freshmen, you know. Uh, and a lot of these freshmen and JUCO guys that came in are going to be good players for South Carolina. Marcellus Dial already is making an impact. Juju McDowell's already making an impact. But some of these guys need red shirts, and that's going to happen. But uh, there's promise there, uh, you know, but I, I think it's South Carolina right now. You can say, hey, these guys from the lower level uh, have really done a good job. And if you and, and I think it, that kind of takes, you know, if, if South Carolina will probably be at, uh, a little active in the portal again this year. Um, I don't know if they'll target FCS G5 guys specifically or not. Probably just best guy that comes. But, um, you know, I think that kind of takes some of the narrative out of the hands of, of, of people that want to concentrate on where guys come from, be it coaches or players, uh, that, that think you can only be good if you've done some pl- something someplace else uh, that's just as big as Carolina. And I, I think that happens when people talk about coaching hires around here. I think it happens when you talk about players, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there you go. Go read that article. I think it's good. I think it's a, it's a good one for me. Uh, the articles. And Tony and Whittle are out for the rest of the week. All right. So, Joe Sports Caller, there's two ways to get in on the iHelp Consulting mailbag, by the way. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Also, follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram uh, or email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. I answer everything. Yeah, except ridiculous questions. And if you're a ridiculous questioner, you know who you are because I didn't read your email on Monday and will not be doing that in the future. So Joe Sportscaller on Twitter says, JC, thanks for everything you do. I sometimes get frustrated at the be patient. Don't expect much. It's a rebuild talk. It's been three years of bad offenses. I mean, at what point should we expect a competitive offense? Well, I'm going to dissect this a little bit. First and foremost, you, you can't hold Muschamp, anything that happened under Muschamp or Bobo or McClendon or whoever was here uh, against Beamer in this group. Uh, I, you know, and I think one of the big problems, you know, here at South Carolina with fans and the mindset is that, you know, 
And I think Shane Beamer has a lot more support than Muschamp ever did because he doesn't have the albatross of the Florida experience hanging around his neck. So, in other words, like if Shane Beamer starts and goes to three straight bowls, I don't think there's going to be nearly the griping and complaining uh, that there was under Muschamp just because you had a certain segment of the fan base that was never going to be happy. Um, But I think in this situation, too, you know, you do have a fan base that went through two coaching changes in 15 and a half years uh, and ended up with Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. And so without that type of hire, which wasn't available or wasn't realistic, you know, you you have people that are just going to say, oh, it's just another coach. You also have the people that irrationally hate Ray Tanner and everything he does. They they It's like Ray Tanner has been coaching the football program. Um, and so I would encourage you, Joe Sports Caller, to just separate that and just in your mind, there's a line. And that line, there's a wall. Okay, a wall. So that wall was the end of last year. And I would never look back. That said, I don't agree that be patient. This is a rebuild. Don't expect much because, you know, you look at the defense uh, with the transfers they got in and the losses in the secondary and that linebacker and all that, and, and they've made drastic improvement. You look at the special teams, they're playing well. Uh, the offense is just not. And it's shocking because what you thought would be the strength, which is the offensive line and the running backs, is not. The run game is non-existent almost, um, unless they run like a reverse or something like that. Uh, so I don't think it's a rebuild. Uh, the weaknesses right now are not rebuilding areas. They needed to uh, they needed to have some guys step up at receiver in the half. They need Luke Doty to be competent in the passing game, and he is. Uh, you know, it's just, it gets back to, they can't run the football and they shoot themselves in the foot a lot. So, you know, I don't, I don't think you can blame Marcus Satterfield or Shane Beamer on anything that happened previously. Uh, I do think that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of ridiculous. These people that want to sit there and throw all these offensive linemen under the bus and talk about how they were never good and all that. That's not true. You know, and, and there's a, there's a school of thought out there. Well, the past, Protection was awful last year. Awful? No, no. You're not watching the games if, if you say awful. You know, mediocre, uh, below average, maybe. Probably average. Run blocking was fine. You know, Kevin Harris's yards before contact, that shows you right there. It wasn't just Kevin Harris with Superman and S on his chest running through everybody last season. Now – Defenses weren't all that great last year. And not everybody played South Carolina by crowding the box and stuff. The teams that did, they sort of struggled. But you're going to struggle if you can't throw the ball, if they crowd the box. Remember Missouri last year? Uh, Missouri's defense loaded it. They weren't going to let Kevin Harris get going, and they didn't. Uh, And then in the second half, Doty took over. Doty was able to get some runs and loosen things up and all that, throw the ball down the field a little bit, and Gamecocks made it a game. Um, but I think it's completely unfair to just say these guys were never good because that's just not true. Were, were they number one in the SEC? They have the best offensive line in the country or anything like that? No. But they should be better. I mean, there's just no question. 
they should be better. When you have coaches at other schools saying, hey, I'd take that offensive line personnel-wise right now, you know, I mean, that's telling to me. These are people I trust, not just people that put well, – I would, you know, there's no motivation for saying that, right? So, um, while I agree with you that this is a re- – it is it's somewhat of a rebuild, right? You know, you got to – the program was six and 16 the last two years, you know, you got to your first year, win as many games as you can and keep going. But, but I'll tell you this, it's like, you know, why would you limit yourself to, for the number of games you can win, you know, by not fixing the issues because there are just a few issues that need to be fixed and South Carolina could be competitive and win against anybody left on the schedule. But they haven't been fixed through five games, so that's why I picked Tennessee. Hopefully. Hopefully. Gamecock fan three. Oh, this is big. JC, did I hear you right on the last pod? We have one single rushing touchdown on the season. Yep, 63-yarder by Zaquandre White against uh, Eastern Illinois. I'm trying hard to be positive and trust the transition and all that. Still like Shane. I just got physically hangry when I heard you say that. Yeah, I mean, look, that has to be frustrating, but you have to keep it in perspective. You know, the offense is either going to get better or it's not. And if there ends up having to be changes made at the end of the year, you know, you got to look at the big picture when you're talking about, um, you know, the head coach and how to evaluate him. And you look at it and, you know, obviously – you know, uh, uh, when you're a head coach like Shane Beamer, you need great coordinators. And he will not be the first new head coach that's made a hire that he needed to correct. If that happens, maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, but I know this, one rushing touchdown the whole season against a bad FCS team uh, is not going to cut it. And look, against Eastern Illinois, honestly, they did throw it in the red zone a lot. I mean, how many touchdown passes did, did our boys have Nolan at four in the first half? I mean, so they did throw it uh, kind of down there where you should run it. But, uh, you know, that's not it's not going to cut it because you have to be able to run the ball inside the 20s and all. That's probably part of the reason this offense has struggled in the red zone that drops. So, you know, that that's very helpful, though, when you're inside the 20. If you got a, a, a run game that can, you know, get a 15-yard run and find pay dirt. So, all that good stuff. But don't, don't you know, Shane Beamer needs to be evaluated on wins and losses. He needs to be evaluated on the way his teams play uh, football, the confidence, the management of the team, you know, all that good stuff. And And right now – you know, yeah, they should have beaten Kentucky. Yeah, it's really, really, really freaking uh, frustrating to see that the strength of the team is not what it should be. Uh, yeah, I know that. There, there, there's no question about that. But I think that some people that are prematurely upset with Shane Beamer really have like a hangover from the Muschamp era. And, again, it wasn't a hire like Holtz or Spurrier where everybody can just rally around the Hall of Famer and – pretend that someday, uh, you know, 1988 Notre Dame or 1996 Florida will show up, which didn't happen in either case. But it's easier to sit there when there's a struggle and go, well, gosh, Spurrier will figure it out or Holtz will figure it out than it is to put your faith in somebody that's a first-time head coach. But 
I think there's so much positive that Beamer's done that even if it turns out, well, the offense, what they were trying to do on offense was a mistake, they need to go in another direction uh, when all is said and done. And I hope that's not the case. And it doesn't have to be. You know, we're only five games into the year. You know, you have to understand there are lots of coaches that don't, you know, don't make the right call. Uh, there's lots of first-time coaches that don't make the right call on most of their staff. I ended up making five coaching changes or something, you know, and there's Hall of Fame coaches that do it too, that end up having to fire a bunch of coaches. It's happened here before, folks. 08, offseason, bunch of folks out, bunch of folks in, and those new folks actually set the tone for one of the best runs in school history. Uh, Spurrier made a lot of coaching changes. Lou Holtz made a lot of coaching changes. So, you know, I would just just encourage everybody to kind of you know, back off Beamer. I think he's done a great job to be a first-time head coach, the situation he went into, changing the, the the culture and the attitude of a lot of guys. You know, I'm telling you right now, they don't they probably don't beat East Carolina or Troy if the attitude's horrible and crappy and they're down on the dumps and frustrated and all that. Um, and that would have been really ugly. One and four with lost to ECU and Troy. At that point, it's like, hey. Just hell, empty the bench, play the young players, and get ready because it, it is a year zero situation. Then, as it stands now, Carolina's halfway to a bowl, which was kind of the realistic goal for the year, and a lot of games left on the schedule that they can win if they fix things. And I say fix rather than you know any other word because that's what needs to happen. They need to fix it. It's not broken beyond repair unless they just don't do what it takes to fix it. All right, Joe C., the final tweet coming in. He says, hey, JC, I like the seven additional scholarships above the 25 to cover transfers. Have there been any discussions around increasing the 85 limit for next year to handle rosters continuing to carry a varying number of super seniors? No, I've not heard that at all. Um, And most teams are under the 85 as it is. So you'd think maybe there was, you know, some some – issues there and, and my understanding is super seniors don't count towards the 85 i think if i'm wrong about that send me a tweet but no no discussion about that it's more the 25 limit because like this team carolina is about to play lost so many players tennessee did the transfer and they're not on probation yet you know they, they're getting investigated and all that but you know you're innocent until proven guilty and so is it fair because Players transfer out because they see trouble on the horizon when it really hadn't happened yet. Is it fair to continue to punish them for that right now when they don't, you know, they're not, you know, they're not on probation. They're they're still under investigation and stuff. So, you know, and that's just one example there, you know, South Carolina certainly can use it too, but I like it too. I haven't heard anything about the 85, but it's mostly a non-issue. Uh, and then Beamer even mentioned the other day, he's like, we're way under the 85, so that's good. My man Spence, JC, I'd love your thoughts on the following. Any truth to what if contact of mine told me about what happened before, during, and following the Kentucky game with recruits? There are numerous issues with recruits. Their experiences with Jessica Jackson, Adkins, Camry, and a recruit's dad going off on Beamer post-game. Apparently, there were limited tickets. It's just a very poorly planned day. Those folks mentioned above caused a bunch of issues. Would appreciate any feedback. Not just good be, be feedback on how recruits were responding to the Beamer era. 
Well, they got a top 25 recruiting class, Spence. Uh, I, I think things like this uh, are a pile of crap, quite frankly. Um, their experiences with Atkins and Kent. I mean, I don't, I don't know what anybody's talking about there. Greg Atkins has three commits from three good ones, and they're all solidly committed. Eric Kimry's taking them the distance with Oscar Delt, the top tight end in the country. Uh, you know, as far as Jessica Jackson goes, she's been invaluable to this program for about seven years now. So you have to be careful with who you listen to. Okay. There are some people out there that will think they hear things and talk about things, you know, because they're pissed off because the offense didn't score uh, and they repeat just crap. So I don't know who your contact is, but tell them they're lying. All right, as far as going off on, you know, that kid, Raku's dad goes off on Shane Beamer. He's probably getting dropped. All right. So I haven't seen anybody get dropped. Uh, And and I think recruiting right now is sort of the least of the concerns. Uh, We talked to every recruit that was at the Kentucky game of significance, and they all had extremely positive feedback. So I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I, uh, I think that information like this that circulates and you hear stuff like this all the time for various schools, it, it, it all, it's funny. It's funny because what you just described could happen even in a game they win. And it's kind of funny that when you lose, this kind of stuff starts creeping out. So it's probably just a moron who thought he heard something that, uh, you know, he repeats it uh, because he's mad because they lost. That's kind of how I feel. Uh, is undisciplined play a culture issue or coaching issue or both? You know where I'm going with this. Just really thought that Beamer, at the very least, would have his teams organized and poised not to do silly things week after week. Your thoughts? The penalties certainly have to quit. Um, You know, I'm glad they haven't gotten a taunting penalty in the last couple of weeks. They talk about it. They address it. But there's so many different teams that get penalized a lot, Spence, around the country in different years that – it's just not something you can pin on culture or coaching. Uh, I think it's just something that happens that you have to keep emphasizing and correct. And and that's the thing. Um, And Spence goes on and says, was dead wrong on Kentucky. They're legit. Yeah, they are. But I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, how good is Florida? I mean, we, we, they're getting a lot of run for a two point loss to Alabama. You know, in, in a game they trailed 21 to three because I mean, look, man, they were just kind of okay against FAU and USF and, you know, struggle with Tennessee at the half who they always beat. So I don't know. I, I was, imp- I'll tell you what I'm impressed with, Spence, is Kentucky's defense because I thought against Missouri and Chattanooga, there were some holes there in that D. And they look like they've really fixed them. And boy, I wish Carolina could have gotten, just from Gamecock standpoint, Jaquez Jones, who transferred from Ole Miss up there, because he's a, he's playing at an even better level than he did when he was at Ole Miss, when he's a one of the few bright spots on that defense. He went to Kentucky, and he's been a big difference for them. And if he hadn't gone to Kentucky, he'd probably be at South Carolina. And no offense to Brad Johnson or Damani Staley or uh, Muhammad Kaba, they're playing pretty well, but. You know, that guy is NFL, and he's playing really well. And, you know, they're big nose guards making it tough, and they were at home and all that. But I, I do think they're legit. I mean, I think that, you know, 
five and zero is five and zero, and it just kind of goes to show you, man. You know, struggling with Troy and East Carolina in and of itself isn't the death knell for Carolina, South Carolina. You know, because Kentucky struggled with Chattanooga. Then they beat Carolina on the road, tough game, and then beat Florida. So teams can change week to week. Uh, I do think Kentucky's legit. I think that LSU game is going to be interesting. LSU could not run the football either. Um, And Ed Orgeron, it's getting interesting in Baton Rouge as far as he's concerned. They need a win. I think they're probably overly – Overall, top to bottom, more talented than Kentucky. But I could see a scenario where they can't run it. Kentucky keeps them from throwing it well. They don't put up any numbers on offense. And and then Kentucky, you know, scratches out enough to win another low-scoring game. So that's that's the deal there. And uh, you got to credit Mark Stoops for what he's done up at Kentucky. They – could end up being number two in the East this year, which I think is a – and if Georgia wasn't, like, historically good, uh, I could win the division. So, you just got to kind of – and for as long as Mark Stoops is there, I think Kentucky's going to be a tough out, you know, for, for a lot of teams, and they're always going to be pretty good. You know, Carolina going to have another struggle, you know, another tough one going up and playing at Kroger Field in Lexington next year. Uh, so, thanks, Spence, for that. Uh, I don't like the rumors because that just kind of stuff like that comes out of net left field and it doesn't match up with anything, anything you've heard from anybody. And so, uh, you know, Jessica Jackson, good Lord. Uh, I think that's like the only negative thing I've heard about her for a whole like seven years she's been at Carolina. So I would be shocked if that was the case uh, that anybody's screwing up and, you know, I don't know how Kimry and Atkins factor into that. I know there was some, you know, talk on the message board about those two ranking low in a recruit survey or something. But, you know, Carolina's got a lot of good recruiters. And, and so if they're nine and ten, the other guys were just higher. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean, you can look at the, the proof is in the pudding when it comes to recruiting. So I, I just I, – I think it's garbage. You know, whoever told you that's probably just mad because the offense isn't scoring. So they're just looking to kind of, you know, spread misinformation in an attempt to kind of, you know, be mad at the coaching staff as a whole. And people like that don't really understand the different moving parts of a football program, and that's fine. Hey, JC, in the past you've talked about Josh Heupel's offense, dominating bad defenses and falling apart when they run into a good defense. Do you think that could be the case this week since Carolina has one of the better defenses Tennessee will have faced so far? Yeah, I think I think you realistically look at it and say Carolina and Florida, you know, Florida's probably the best defense to this point they've faced, and the Carolina's right there. Uh, I, I just – when I picked the score I did, it was not necessarily because – I think the Vols are some juggernaut that's going to hang half a hundred on Carolina. Uh, I'm looking at the matchups. The fact that the defense has not played tempo, they've had a little issue with the run so far, third getting off the field, that kind of thing. Uh, And then Carolina's offense just hadn't gone anywhere against anybody. Now they played three top 10 defenses. That is a fact, but until they do it, I can't, you know, I can't predict them to do it. Uh, but you're right. That's kind of been the MO on Hypel. And, you know, we'll see kind of how all that transpires. You know, I, 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 
I, I thought the same thing when I was watching them on Saturday. I was like, well, that's a bad Missouri defense. Missouri gives up seven yards per rush defensively. That's that's awful. 300 rushing yards per game, that's historically bad. But you still have to say, well, then you know, that game came at the right time for the balls because that offense also relies on rhythm and confidence and, and things of that nature. And so I don't care if they're playing, you know, Landrum High School, you know, they got into a rhythm. And so it's up to Carolina for to Carolina to disrupt the rhythm. But I, I do think I do think Carolina's better than a lot of the defensive teams Tennessee's played. So uh, we'll see what happens Saturday. Well, I mean, that's a big key to the game for the Gamecocks. The, the defense can't fall apart in this one because I don't think they have the horses or the the they don't have the track record, let's say, on offense to keep up with them. Base West Kevin on the I Help Consulting mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com inbox. Uh, also the I Help Consulting inbox, if you will. Kevin says, I appreciate your podcast and enjoy them almost as much as the games. Thank you. I want to be positive. I want to see this team's hardworking and disciplined despite all we've seen. Three things, if I may bring them to your, to your attention. Since the second week of the season, I felt like Eric Douglas has a lingering injury because compared to last year, he doesn't look like the same type of center. It could be scheme in the case for some other guys, but for him, experience as any of our linemen, I think his body's the issue. I've watched him closely. Have you heard anything or do you agree, disagree? I've not heard anything about Eric Douglas having a lingering injury. And I am just as shocked at his individual performance as you are. Again, I think it gets back to maybe him thinking too much, uh, as is the case with most of the guys. You know, it's kind of weird that Vershawn Lee, who hadn't played a whole lot, goes in there and plays like he did. So that has to be, that has to be it. I, I, you know, I, just as shocked as you are with Douglas, though, because last year you didn't hear much about Eric Douglas because he was just stellar the whole season. You know, he went and nobody penciled him in as the starter in preseason. He won the job the first week of camp and then was was outstanding. That's the last position on the offensive line uh, with a group that I wasn't too worried about, that I would even you – know, if you had to rank them, who are you worried about? Eric Douglas would have been fifth. So it's interesting. Second, Parker White has been excellent. We may not be three and two without him. Kai Kroger has been a superb kick holder. Matthew Bailey, the snapper, and a few is a snapper, and a few of his snaps have been erratic. True. Kroger picks him off his right shoulder. Is this position contested? Who might be the place kicker along snappers? Should the next man up apply? Well, they just put Bailey on scholarship. I agree. Some of them have been a little errant, but I don't know that there's reason for him to be benched. He's been the best one. Uh, credit Pete Limbo because he has the holders go on the jugs machine that they use for receivers, uh, which is – I don't know why nobody else has thought about that when you're talking about holders, but he's done that, and Kroger's done a really fantastic job. Kai Kroger, you know, people, when they signed in their eyes, a punter, you know, left-footed punter out of Chicago, and you don't – South Carolina normally doesn't go all the way up, up there for that, but, uh, you know, he was one of the best in the SEC last year, continues to punt well, was great uh, at holding. Lastly, besides Vanderbilt, the Gamecocks will be underdogs in every game from here on out. Yeah, we'll see. Who can the Gamecocks beat? Everybody, I suppose, but how many wins can we expect? For me, to total six would be outstanding. I agree, and I've said that from the beginning. I think there's enough there to get to a bowl. So that's uh, 
There you go. That's uh, pretty interesting there. Um, you know, for six, that's what, that's what I thought. And he says, JC, thank you very much. Keep it up for the game. Cox, you're the best. Bates West, Kevin. Thanks, Bates West, Kevin. Bates West. I like that. Eric in Denver. JC, I want to give you props for something you said in the offseason. While you identified the secondary as a concern, you correctly said the loss of NFL talent doesn't mean this unit can't improve. Through some combination of scheme, inspiration, and development, it seems like these guys know what they're doing and play fearless. I'd argue that they're a strength to the team right now. I agree. Carolina's pretty good. National pass defense rankings. Um, you know, it just kind of shows you that a lot of playing secondary is playing together and not playing as an individual, playing as teams. Last year, you know, as good as J.C. Horn is, as good as McQuamu is in terms of playing in the preseason NFL, I never thought he was – I thought he had a flash in the pan type of career at South Carolina, if you want to be honest with you. And I, I kind of thought he thought he was going to go pro uh, well before, you know, anybody should have told him that. <laughs> but, you know, six, four defensive backs are at a premium. So he got drafted and whatever. And John Dixon left. And, you know, I, I, I thought communication on the back end was bad. And I thought that was an issue in old defense for the whole Muschamp era. Um, and they put a lot on their safeties, even Will said it, you know, and, and they could never find guys that, you know, because if it was if it was a guy that couldn't communicate, they didn't play. And then there were guys like JT eBay that could communicate, but obviously less than ideal from an athleticism standpoint. And they all played slow most of the time, uh, you know, and, and we'll see how the secondary does on Saturday. Uh, but so far, so good. And, you know, that's why I was – you know, so excited or, or I don't want to say excited. I don't really get emotional about things, you know, like fans do. <laughs> uh, I was, I was, uh, I thought it was an overwhelming positive that Torian Gray got the job at Carolina because you look through his career and he's taken all sorts of different personnel in terms of upside and ability uh, like star rankings or, or whatever, however you want to put it. And he's developed everybody, you know, everybody like, uh, you know, the, the two or three star kid from the seven, five, seven that went to Virginia tech ended up in the NFL or like the, the guys like Kendall Fuller, five-star guy that ended up, you know, really good. So, uh, and I think at South Carolina, that's what you need because, you know, for every JC horn, you're going to have somebody on the other end that, you know, may not be the type of guy that could be a top 10 draft pick, but you still need him to be good. And I thought quite frankly, you know, Lorenzo Ward gets a, it's a lot of criticism around here and, and rightfully so for how things ended on defense. But, you know, you, you think back to it, you know, with, with Gilmore in 2011, you had Gilmore on one side, but then you're dealing with Jimmy Legree and Jimmy struggles his first two games, but then they coached him up and Legree ended up being pretty good for the rest of his career. You know, kid out of Buford that Shane Beamer evaluated and got, uh, like Devin Taylor, you know, both those guys, I think, had three offers between them outside of South Carolina, and they were from, like, Duke and Wake Forest and somebody else. So, you know, there's a there's a blast from the past as far as Shane Beamer's recruiting ability goes. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Torian Gray and Clayton White, who's also kind of a secondary guy by trade, you know, they've really done a great job coaching these guys up, and, and they're pretty good. I mean – you kind of keep waiting. People keep waiting, I think, for Jalen Foster not to have such a good game. Hopefully it's not Saturday. But he he's not – you know, he's 
not his he's actually gotten better you know shoot especially like against you know he's leads the country in intercept or second the country interceptions or whatever but yet his play against the run has been good i mean how many how many times the last five years have you seen the safety come up in the box and force a fumble i don't remember that a whole lot maybe it's happened uh, and Eric Denver continues on Marshawn Lloyd's small sample size, but it looks like he's not running with any patience and not letting holes develop in front of him. I haven't seen any holes. I mean, I, you know, with him, it's easy to say that, uh, but he's kind of had, you know, when you compare the number of carries he's had to Kevin Harris, he's had, you know, the same productivity per carry. Um, in a lot of ways, I know the numbers maybe favored Kevin because he had a good ending to the game, but you know, both of those guys need to get into a rhythm. And, and it seems now like the, the staff would rather have Juju go out there and run it. And I don't have a problem with that so much, but you know, Juju uh, is, is what he is. I, I would still try to get Lloyd going, but you know, uh, Eric goes on to say, would love to see Lloyd get more carries in a single game, but it's hard when our offense can't give us any big leads late. Thanks, Eric. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, – I still think Marshawn is feeling his way back. Uh, I don't think unless you start giving him more carries that, that he's going to do it. Uh, but I think once it happens, it's going to be an overwhelmingly positive thing for this team. Um and like I've said, I I would like to see them get McDowell the ball in space more in the passing game. I think, you know, he can run on reverses. He can carry it from scrimmage some. Uh, same with Zaquandre White, who's disappeared. You know, I, I thought his hands were good. Uh, you know, that's a guy that can get some things done. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't know slot-wise what you do or if you can go spread the field with all these guys in it, if you're running two backs at once, whatever. But uh, – yeah, I'd still like to see Marshawn get more carries in a game. I don't know if I think, you know, you put him in, he gains a yard, doesn't have a hole. You know, how is that really indicative of what he's doing? But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know that he's 100% back from his injury either. I think he's more like 90, 88, something like that. Thanks, Eric and Denver. Appreciate that. Tristan says, we've been asking and wondering the same questions every week, still the same issue. Is it getting to the point where we're just going to have to realize it's going to take this time for the new system to gel? I want to accept the not talent enough point because it's just not true. That's true. Receivers still need to catch the ball better, but we still have talent there. Yeah, and I think overall, despite the drops, that group is performing more, better than we anticipated. You know, and Josh Van has a lot to do with that. But I think overall it's been better too. I mean, I, I think, you know, say what you want about Jalen Brooks dropping passes early or late or whatever – um, he's been better. You know, EJ Jenkins adds a lot to that group. You know, I think that, you know, Joyner making Joyner has had issues, right? And I'd kind of like to see other players get some of those snaps, but he's actually been a lot better than he was last year. You know, he just could not get open and never produced until late. So um, he says, I definitely think Step gets his guys in there and make night and day difference at receiver. That'll make night and day difference to the receiver maybe as soon as next year. But I'm starting to feel like we can't expect everything to run like a well-oiled machine. Not this year, I don't think. Um, but, uh, you know, when the coaching staff, and it frustrates some people, 
says they're close. That's hard to sit there and say that when you're only averaging a touchdown per game, which is not going to get it done at any level of college football. But when they when they say that, it, you, when you kind of drill it down, you're like, well, yeah, you know, th- if this hadn't happened, one thing hadn't happened here, then maybe this happens. That's, that's why I said they need to simplify because those little tiny breakdowns that bring the whole thing down, you, you shouldn't have an offense predicated on that. Uh, number one, and then number two, you know that's usually a sign that you're confused. And I think the offensive line still looks tentative. And when you look at this, these guys' careers, they have not been tentative individually. And that's usually a sign that they're confused. But the good news is about confusion and mental errors is those can be cleaned up. It'd be a different story if they just didn't have players. Ah, you don't have players. You're just going to have to recruit your way out of it. Under no circumstances will I ever accept that the issues on the offensive line this year are because they have to recruit their way out of it. I'm not saying that in three years they may not have a better offensive line as they recruit and develop and and guys get more experience or whatnot. I'm not saying that it's never going to be better than this. I'm just saying this group this year, it's a wasted opportunity for the entire program if they don't get better because obviously, if they played better, South Carolina would be winning a lot. Could, they'd be four and one right now, you know. And there's no reason when you look at how they've played in the past that they can't play just as good as that. Is it ideal? No. But there's no offensive line in the SEC that is. You know, outside of Alabama and Georgia, sometimes maybe Texas A&M. You know, and, and it's just it's a struggle up front down south, folks, because. You're playing great defensive lines, even Troy, great athletes up there. Now, is that the reason Troy had the success they did? No, it was mental errors, turning guys loose, not knowing what to do, that type of thing. But, you know, if you cut all the bad plays from the offensive line against Troy in half, I still think that's a pretty good day because you are facing guys that have athleticism. On the offensive line, that's just how on the defensive line, that's just how it is in the South. And there's not a ton of great offensive linemen in the recruiting footprint. You know, you can you can handle it multiple ways. You you can kind of do uh, what Greg Atkins is doing, and and you can try, try to pull a guy or two out of the Northeast or Midwest, and then go evaluate guys that fit your thing. Uh, or your offense, uh, or, or your idea of a good offensive lineman. You can do like Wolford did and go put a premium on being a great athlete and do it that way. Uh, you can do like Sean Elliott and have a have a mix of blue-chip type of guys like Brandon Shell and then tough guys, hard-working guys like he did. I don't know, you know if that works or not. Uh, but there's all kinds of different ways you can do it. If you're Alabama, you can, you know, if you're, if you're anywhere Sam Pittman coaches, you can go recruit nationally. And get it. But, uh, you know, that that's just the thing is if this offensive line can get to average, okay, and South Carolina can have a somewhat average run game and then continue to develop the pass game, they'll score naturally, they'll score more points. And, you know, against some of the teams that are struggling on one side of the ball or the other, you know, the other shot to win. And everybody, Florida, I don't know that I would say that they're struggling on one side of the ball or the other. They just got upset last week. They've been solid on both sides, but you look at it, Texas saying, you know, Vanderbilt struggling on both sides, obviously. Big win for them over Connecticut, though. 
Uh, you know, Texas A&M can't score. Clemson has trouble scoring. Auburn's having trouble running the ball, and they don't have a very good offensive line, um, even though they won. Uh, Bo Nix with some magic there, right? Uh, you know, you know, like I said, A&M can't score. Clemson's having – and Missouri's got a historically bad defense. So, when you look at it, you know, all these teams left on the schedule have warts, bad ones right now. You know, their fan bases are not happy either. So, if Carolina can get to average, which, you know, you, you kind of dig into – other, you know, with A&M, it's obviously quarterback. And there's nothing they can do about it. Jimbo Fisher's a phenomenal quarterback's coach. But it just sort of is what it is right now. You know, Clemson, it just – I was talking to a Clemson contact the other day. They, they feel like it just sort of is what it is. It's one of those years, you know, that they're going to scratch and claw and, you know, all that to try to, you know, maybe win the ACC, win their division, but the, the playoffs are out the door and all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, Auburn, offensive line. You know, you, you look at Missouri, obviously, it's defense. So – there's an opportunity. You know, I don't know how good Tennessee is as a team. So there's an opportunity for the Gamecocks. Uh, but they got to get it fixed. And and until they do, Tristan, I can't say that they are. Yeah, not going to sit here week after week. This is the week it happens. Jared says, JC, big, uh, big fan. Please keep up the hard work with the podcast. Thank you. Always fun listening to you in the car on the way to work. Thank you, Jerry. You mentioned last week the changes that last season, the changes we made prior to the Ole Miss game. How much longer do you think Beamer will let Satterfield keep using the offensive line like he is? We're in the thick of things in our SEC schedule. And with three wins, we need to figure out a way to score on offense. If we keep scoring one touchdown a game, we might only win one more game this year. I do like seeing Luke throw it around more. Just needs to work on the deep ball. I know Shane is the right man for the job, but if something doesn't change soon on offense, we might need to make a change next season for OC. Again, thank you for all you do for Gamecock Nation. Jared, thanks, Jared. I, I agree, you know, as far as Beamer letting Satterfield use the O-line line, I don't know what that – I don't I don't know. I don't know what you do. Uh, I think they did simplify some last weekend. I said at the beginning of the week against Troy, the issues were more – there were – I'm convinced there's still confusion because these guys don't move as slow. I mean, you know, you look at these guys now and you're like, they're not quick. They're not fast with their feet. And, they, and you know, you, you look at them in previous years and they are, they, you know, the whole team is in really good shape. They all went through Luke Day's off season program. Unlike last year where they had no off season program. Uh, they didn't lose their quickness and athleticism. There's nothing, there's no reason they could. It's it's mental. And the good news with mental issues is they can be replaced, or I'm sorry, well, they can be uh, corrected. I also think that, you know, when you look at it, if the offensive line suddenly gels, this won't be the first time an offensive line has looked like garbage and then suddenly gelled, and it won't be the first time at South Carolina either. So you just got to hope for the best that they get it. Uh, like I said, the Vershawn Lee move worked. Maybe there's another guy that needs to start. I don't know. I don't know who. Vinnie Murphy, somebody like that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it would be really hard for me to replace Eric Douglas at center uh, with a guy like a Vinnie Murphy or somebody. But, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? It'd be hard for me to replace Jovan Gwynn. But, boy, Gwynn last week, you know, it's, I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, and I agree, the offense can't click. You know, you you may talk about a change. Uh, and a lot of it kind of just depends on what happens. You know, I, I don't see any kind of midseason change happening. Uh, you never know, but I, I don't. And hopefully, you know, it, it's never good to continue to have a revolving door, a coordinator on either side of the ball. And it's, it's just never good because you're learning a new system again and again and again. Some of these guys – they're on their third system in three years, you know, and it gets a little wonky to do that. So it's in everybody's best interest for this Marcus Satterfield offense to click and for the Gamecocks to be at least competent on that side of the ball, score more than they're scoring and win their share of games down the stretch. Everybody's happy. You go recruit. Uh, you fix that. You have a shot to win the Clemson game this year. I mean, who'd have thought that? But Carolina, that game's in Columbia. You got a shot. You know, they're not good on offense. Gamecocks are pretty good on defense. They got a they got a chance. But you know, you're gonna go out there and lose 17 to 6 if you can't fix the offense. And that's gonna sting because South Carolina has had games against Clemson, gosh, since the Clemson streak started, where they've played pretty decent offensively, like uh, 2015, the five-point game, and then the, the 2018 game where they put up 600 yards of total offense. But they have just not been able to stop the Tigers at all. It hadn't even been close. You know, last time they played in 2019, it was just bombs away. Let's just, you know, you know they stopped them on the goal line that one time. And then, boom, you know, it's going to go up top, you know, chuck it down the field, touchdown. And I'm convinced, too, Watching games like that and watching Clemson play with Trevor Lawrence has convinced a portion of this fan base that going vertical like they did with those receivers and that quarterback, which you know not everybody has, uh, is the way to uh, win football games, period. And that's just not true. Uh, you can even look at Alabama, and Bama throws it down the field for sure at times. But they also run a ton of, like, slants that the receivers just take off and leave the defense. Short passes. They're not long passes. So, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, I, I could imagine if you watched LSU and Clemson in 2019, you, you'd probably start to think, yeah, this is the the modern way to do offense or whatever, throw it deep. But <laughs> those two teams have a lot of talent at receiver and quarterback, man. Joe Burrow is doing really well in the NFL, too, I mean. Trevor's having a weird year with a weird coach, but uh, you know those guys are just historically good. So, so that's the deal there. Jared, thanks for the email, and that concludes the Prediction Thursday episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here, I uh, have a week wrap, weekly wrap next week to wrap up the week, finish off all your mailbag questions. Thanks again to Cindy Searfoss, Realtor. Uh, for sponsoring the prediction episode. Thanks to iHelp Consulting, also Heritage Digital, for their sponsorship here. Again, my prediction, Tennessee 31-14. Hope I'm wrong. Pray I'm wrong. I, uh, you know, it is what it is. Got to make predictions based on what you see. But uh, I guess you guys can tell that I'm Really hoping that's not what happens. It'll be a much better week next week, if not. Anyway, I'll have the wrap-up um, tomorrow. Since it's a noon kickoff, it won't be like a late release or anything like that. Uh, again, 
Thank you very much for tuning in. JC Sherbert signing off. <laughs>